once again we begin this new series on uh, uh, lawful oaths and vows uh, with an aim of uh, uh, making us more deliberate on the things that we say so that our yes would be yes and our no, no. Uh, it, it's uh, very often we tell people that you will do this and we don't do it. And that cannot be right before the board. So that's where I'm coming from to encourage our godliness. But let's turn to the Lord first in prayer. Uh, thank you so much, our Heavenly Father, for your word and the blessings that uh, we accrue uh, from your word, which has been given to us for our instruction, uh, for our training in righteousness. So help us, Lord, as we consider uh, what you say in your word, that we would be more deliberate in uh, our words, what we say uh, to others, so that our promises, our commitments would be uh, more deliberate. Please bless us, Lord, for we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us to turn to James chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, James 5.12 is a sermon I preached not so long ago. I sent out the, the link to that sermon. And uh, my sermon manuscript is on my blog where you could uh, access it. If you're interested in that link, I could uh, make it uh, readily available. like to read that for us, uh, James chapter 5, verse 12. Let's go ahead, uh, John. Any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Thank you. We are to, uh, there, there is a command not to swear, and we will be considering what that means in the context of uh, uh, Matthew, uh, chapter 5. But the thing is, uh, we, we need to be very, very careful when we give promises or commitments or make vows or oaths. Now, if we go to our confession of faith, this is what we read. Chapter 23 on lawful oaths and vows. It says, a lawful oath is an aspect of religious worship in which the swearer, having God's truth, justice, and righteousness in view, solemnly calls God to witness what he swears and to judge him according to the truth or falsity of his word. It goes on to say in the second paragraph, an oath is only lawful when it is taken in the name of God with all holy fear and reverence. To swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and to strife is desired. And in such circumstances, it is permissible to take a lawful oath imposed by lawful authority. The third paragraph says, Each and every person who takes an oath agreeably to the word of God must well consider the seriousness of such a solemn act and be extremely careful to assert nothing but what he knows to be truth. For by rash, false, and empty oaths, the Lord is provoked. And by reason of them, a land is brought to misery. And, uh, and then finally on oaths, it says, an oath is to be taken in the plain and usual sense of the words used without equivocation or mental reservation. Then regarding vows, uh, that's the last paragraph, paragraph five. It says, vows are to be made to God alone and not to any creature. Once made, they are to be performed scrupulously and faithfully. 
but monastical vows of perpetual single life, professed poverty, and regular obedience that pertain to the Church of Rome, so far from representing superior sanctity, are merely superstitious and sinful snares in which no Christian ought to entangle himself. So what we're going to do is uh, today we will consider lawful oaths, and then next Sunday we'll consider lawful vows, and the week after we would engage in discussion based on James chapter 5 and 12. So in case you'd want my sermon manuscript on uh, James 5, uh, 5 12, you're welcome to uh, request for the link, or it could be made available. Uh, Dennis, you could make that available uh, online. Now, uh, the is that me? Is that me? Okay, sorry. What do I need to do or not to do? Not well connected. Sorry about that. So the many Anabaptists, these are Christians who uh, really never succumbed to the uh, pedo-baptism, baptism of infants. Uh, they refused to take any oath in light of um, uh, this uh, moratorium, they would not take uh, any any vow or oath. Um, and then you know that Quakers would not take a vow. So if you've noticed when uh, uh, the, is he called Prime Cabinet uh, Secretary, Mosalia Mudavadi, he, he would never... Could you change this microphone, please? Uh, he would never take a vow. Even when he is taking oath of office, uh, I would like you to take interest in how he would do it, uh, be being a Quaker, uh, that is a uh, French church. So then we may ask, uh, what is it, and uh, how are we to go about this verse? Um, that is James 5.12, which strengthens the words of the Lord. Just give me a moment. Check. So let's define uh, an oath. Uh, an oath is a calling upon the name of the law or of God to be a witness of what has been said as being true or of a promise. To, at the heart of any promise, any word you utter, uh, we need to realize that it's an act of worship. And if you look at the confession over and over again, you see how much God is involved in what we say or, or do. So we call upon the name of the Lord to be a witness, knowing that God is omniscient, omnipresent. He is everywhere, knows everything, uh, even before we say them. So that then the way we go about uh, making our promises, it's in the witness of God. Um, so the question is, do we have biblical evidence for oaths? And I would show you, yes, we do. But before that, we need to ask a very important question. Um, when, we call, uh, when we think about this whole matter of uh, taking oaths and vows and promises, uh, and we want to deal with that as a subject in a church. What would be its importance to us? Uh, why is this relevant? Uh, and especially, why is it relevant uh, this morning? I've uh, highlighted five uh, things to show you why this is important to us. Uh, first of all, 
to prove that we belong to God as our Father. We've been adopted into His family. Our Heavenly Father does not lie. And uh, we, as His children, ought to be like Him. Or how do we prove, how do we show ourselves to be children of God? Is that we would conduct ourselves like our Heavenly Father, isn't it? We know that the devil is the father of all lies. And uh, uh, his children are liars too. So how do we demonstrate that we have moved from being children of wrath like the rest of mankind and now we've become children of God? We are to conduct ourselves like our Heavenly Father. And so the Bible says that as our Heavenly Father is holy, so are we to be holy. First Peter 5, uh, 1 Peter 2, 6, uh, 1 16, excuse me. So to prove that we belong to God, that we are His children, our words must be meaningful. Uh, our promises must be faithful. Our vows need to be uh, truthful at all times. And, and this affects all of us. When you say, I will call you at 10, you've made a promise, right? When you call at uh, 10 or 1, what should you do? I mean, it's just one minute, you know. What should we do? Why do we need to apologize for the one minute? Yes, we have been unfaithful by one minute. I don't think that's the way we look at it. Uh, people just uh, run late, even though and they don't think much about it. You who are married made vows to your spouses. And remember, he or she married you with the understanding that you are a child of God. But now you're conducting yourself in a manner that does not demonstrate that you are. So secondly, then, to demonstrate the fidelity of our faith in Christ, uh, what if Christ made promises and he, he doesn't keep them? What if when he told that thief, uh, the dying thief on the cross, the penitent thief, that today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't mean that. So, so why do we believe that when the Lord says, or when his word says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be, you'll be saved, that that promise is true? Now, that then needs to be demonstrated by us who have trusted in him living in such a way that shows that we are indeed in Christ who uh, made promises to us and those promises have come to pass in our lives and uh, as Christians, as those who are followers of Christ, we are to demonstrate that we are indeed in him. And then thirdly, I hope to foster honesty, uh, sincerity and integrity so that uh, we would be more trustworthy. These days, if you say, I am a Christian to people, does it mean anything? You know, you are, you, you are there for a job interview and uh, you want to say that you are a man or a woman of integrity and you respond by saying, I am a Christian. The panel interviewing you might not necessarily take you very seriously just because you said you're a Christian. Because Christians are filled in this whole matter of integrity. Uh, when we've been subjected to integrity tests, more often than not, we have failed. Um, look at our president. We elected him because we knew that he is a Christian, but now he is going back on his promises over and over again. We are wondering what kind of Christianity is this? 
the point is made that when we say we are a Christian, then we are saying we are people of integrity. And so this is especially demonstrated when we take an oath of office or we make vows to our spouses or we promise our friends. All that need to demonstrate that we are indeed uh, people of integrity in all our dealings. Being a Christian means that you will not, you will not go back on your, on, on any aspect of integrity. When you're doing business, we know that our skills are correct. Uh, we don't use uh, false measures and skills or wits. Integrity needs to be seen in everyday living. And that's what marks the difference between we and the world. The way or what we say, what we promise, what we vow, uh, need to, to be clearly different from the way the world would take their vows. So this clearly marks the, out the difference between us and the world. And, and lastly, to boost our confidence in our dealings with the world. Uh, we, we are not of this world, even though we are in the world. We conduct ourselves as citizens of the heavenly kingdom in everything that we do, in all that we say, in our thinking, in our planning. Now, when we will act in integrity, we do not walk in fear even when we are given such a high office. You remember uh, Daniel or, or his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, from the very beginning, they marked their territory as, 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 uh, as people of God. So when food was offered that to them, they simply said no. But remember also how they uh, were willing to suffer the consequences should their plan fail? They said, well, if after so many days we do not uh, come across as healthy, you can do with us as you want. Or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were threatened with the burning fiery furnace, if they did not bow to the, the golden image, they, they spoke very respectfully to the king and entrusted themselves to God and we're not afraid of death. So it does boost our confidence in our dealings with the world. So that when you are, uh, before your other, or before your tormentor, uh, or even one who would cut off your, your, your hand, uh, you still would be able to stand up and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even if you are to chop off my hand. So this is very, uh, critical in our Christian living. Let's look at the biblical evidence that it is lawful to take an oath, whether in conversation or a law court. And uh, what you're going to do is um, run through the, the scriptures and read various texts, beginning with the uh, with the third commandment. So someone to turn, uh, should turn to Exodus 20 verse 7. Um, let's see what it, it forbids. This is the third commandment. Who is ready to read for us? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who does take his name in vain. Okay. So that commandment um, forbids swearing vainly, but when you read swearing vainly, 
it does assume that it is lawful to swear or to take uh, that word, take the name of the Lord in vain, is the same as swearing. Uh, but, but if there is such a thing as swearing in vain, then there is such a thing as lawful swearing, isn't it? Um, so how is it then that we do not swear or take the name of the Lord, our God, in vain? It's that when we use God's name or in promises or oaths or vows, when we say God being my helper in, our, in the marriage vows, then we are calling God to witness. And uh, we are committing to truthfulness. We are committing to honesty. We are committing to acting in integrity in that whole matter otherwise it would be in vain all right then uh Duff makes use of oaths and uh this is this is quite a lot in the scriptures all the covenants that god made he did swear and uh, if you look at the way he uh, made the, the, the oaths, uh, he called upon, he called destruction upon himself, upon failure to do what he promised. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 16. Hebrews 6, 13 to 16. Would you like to read for us? Uh, Bilha. Then after that, I give to Alex. Yes, go ahead, Bilha. Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 13 to 16. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater sister uh, by whom to swear, he saw himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Right. So, uh, God made an oath, or God did swear to Abraham. And this is uh, especially in reference to uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, in light of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, when God said, surely I will bless you and multiply you, uh, he was swearing. That's what the Bible is saying here. And then his name, he swore by himself because there is no one greater than him. So you swear by one who is. Uh, greater that's what verse 16 says for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes and all this final for confirmation why do you think it's necessary to swear by one greater than the one that than the swearer it's for judgment isn't it if you made a promise or made an oath that you won't keep then it's expected that the one greater by whom you saw will destroy you, or will punish you, will judge you. In this case, God saw by himself, because there is no one greater than him. And then look at Matthew uh, 26, verse 63 to 64. This is Christ responding to an oath by the high priest. I'd like to read that for uh, Alex. Go ahead. 26. 26. 63. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, coming on the clouds of heaven. 
why did he say why did he not say the the bible forbids you to swear you can clearly see that he responded to the priest's oath positively it did not stop him from swearing um and then we see that uh, god's people constantly made uh, oaths uh, if you look at Genesis 24, verse 3, very quickly, someone could turn there. Genesis 24, verse 3, verse 25. John, read for us Genesis 24, verse 3. And then uh, James can read for us Gen uh, uh, Genesis 50, verse 25. Genesis 24, verse 3. That I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of, of the earth, that you will not take a wife, my son, from the daughters of Canaanites, among whom I dwell. So there is an example of um, of, an oath uh, of an oath being taken. And uh, He's demanding that um, their son would not take a woman or a wife from another tribe. Uh, Genesis 50 verse 25. Then Joseph bade the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my, up my bones from here. Yeah, so the swearing there, the same as... Uh, Taking an oath, to swear is the same as taking an oath. Um, there is uh, another example of, of God's people using God's name in making oaths. First uh, Kings 17, 1. This is Elijah. Uh, who is ready? Anthony? Go ahead, Victor. First, first Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. As the, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom That's an oath Elijah is making. So I can go on and on. It's there also in Israel 10.5 and Nehemiah 13.25. Uh, and in case you thought it's not in the New Testament, look at Romans 1.9 and 2 Corinthians 1.23. Very quickly, uh, Romans 1.9. 2 Corinthians 1 to 3. Someone to read that for us. Anthony? Romans 1 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Yeah. That I mention you. Always in my prayers. The point is, uh, Paul is making a note there. He says, God is my witness. That's an oath. Second Corinthians 1 23. 2 Corinthians uh -huh. 123. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Again, he calls God to witness against me. That is to judge him if he were not to, uh, if he was speaking, if he was not speaking the truth. Um, so it's clear then that God's people used God's name in making oaths. But then turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. This is uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Pastor Eric preached on this recently. 523. 
Uh, who is there? Matthew 5, 23. Excuse me, 33. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Give a, uh huh. Go ahead. Again, you have, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes. And your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Yeah, you can see that that's where James was standing when he gave or when he wrote uh, James 5.12. The, these teach that uh, we need to be very, very careful in the way we go about it. Our Lord is teaching against the Pharisees who believe that if an oath was made without using the name of God, then it was not so important to tell the truth. Okay? Uh, if you did not invoke God's name, you didn't need to keep, you, you, there was no obligation for you to keep what you said. It's what they were teaching, the Pharisees. But the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. No, that's not the way it's to be done. Um, they would say, if we swear by the heaven or by the temple or by the earth or by Jerusalem or by the altar, then that promise, that oath, that swearing is not binding. The Lord is telling them, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, just put your finger there and turn with me to Matthew 23, uh, verse 16 to 22. So this is where they are uh, challenging. Uh, sorry, this is where the the, the question of um, just a moment uh, 23 verse 16 to 22 uh, he is he's condemning them for swearing by the temple uh, what you blind kinds who say if anyone swears by the temple it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bowed by his oath. This is what they were teaching. There was this inconsistency. And so the Lord tells them, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold, that is the gold in the temple, or the temple that has made, has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bowed by the... You blind man. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So that gives you a commentary to Matthew 5.33. Their problem is that they were making this dichotomy between this is sacred, this is not. Well, you can touch the altar and swear and that oath you don't have to keep it. The Lord is saying, no, do not do that. Because when you swear, whether by the heaven or by the throne, whether by the temple or by the one who lives in it, it's all biting. It's an oath that you need to take seriously. And that's why then he went on to say that your yes is yes. Do not... <laughs> Don't use any words to cover your lies. Uh, you know, when you make a promise, 
you must always intend to keep it. Whether you have sworn or you haven't, whether you are under the oath or you're not, your yes must be yes and your no must be no. Anything that may be used to cover up for a lie is from the evil one. That's what the Lord is saying. So Jesus taught that a use of oath, where you're using that oath as a, as a means of covering up your lies, is all forbidden. Totally forbidden. So in our ordinary daily conversations, we don't need to be making uh, oaths to cover up whatever. We must always speak plainly, yes, no. And that's enough. That suffices. So we've looked at the definition of an oath. Let's look at the name in which an oath is to be made. We saw that um, a lawful oath is an aspect of religious worship in which the swearer, having gone through justice and righteousness in view, solemnly calls God to wait swears and to judge him according to the truth or falsity of his word. And God will judge anyone who makes any lie in him uh, or any lie without his name. Then secondly, an oath is only lawful when it is taken in the name of God. That's what the confession says. So when do you uh, swear? We will look at the occasion, but before that, look at uh, the name in which we are to swear. We To swear by any other, uh, any other name other than uh, the Lord God, that is Yahweh, is a wicked denial of God's omnipresence, God omniscience, God just, God's justice and uh, sovereignty. To swear by a false God is the same as worshipping that God. To swear by anything or place is to be guilty of idolatry because you are saying that if I do not keep this oath, then let this thing, whatever it is, destroy me in judgment. But if it's a, a, an idol, then of course it's not likely to destroy you because it's mute and dumb. That's why then an oath is regarded as part of religious worship. Because we are calling God to witness the act or the promise before us and to judge righteously. But you're also promising that you will act righteously, Lord. So we swear by God's name. When you get employed, or when you're getting employed, you sign a contract, right? That one is an, is, it's an aspect of swearing or promising that you will do certain things. Of course, at a consideration, it is swearing nonetheless. When you do anything less than what you promise to do to your, for your company, then you are sinning against God. The occasions for taking an oath, uh, look at uh, section 2, lines 3 and 6, where we are saying to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dread na uh, name, or to swear at all by any other thing is sinful and is to be abhorred. But God's word sanctions the taking of an oath when weighty and momentous matters are engaging attention. That's one. And two, when truth requires confirmation and an end to strife is desired. So those are the three, three occasions. Um, weighty and momentous matters. What do you think are those weighty and momentous matters? Can you give examples of weighty and momentous matters? Uh, yes, marriage. Okay, why is marriage? Do pass on the microphone to uh, Wale. He's right here, friend from Nigeria. Why is marriage a weighty and momentous event? Because for most people, after a decision to become a Christian, it's the most important decision they make. Do speak up, please. I said, because for most people, after the decision to become a Christian, 
it's the most important decision they would make. It's right. It's a lifelong commitment. It is. It is a lifetime commitment. So the reason why we celebrate when people in weddings take vows and, and then after they've done it, we, when they say, God being my helper, what do we do? We know that that marriage is sealed. Or when do you think marriage covenant is sealed? So there are lots of things that happen in a wedding. And all those things are meant to seal the, the, the commitment, the life commitment in marriage. But especially when they make those vows, uh, it's sealed. That marriage is done. Another example of uh, a weighty and momentous um, event. Y yes. Uh, Oath of office. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it is a commitment maybe to give service or to render service. Uh, going against it, not being faithful. So yeah, I, I, I feel it is one of those occasions. Okay. So for the case of the marriage, uh, you are ceasing to be two, you're no longer two, but one flesh. In the case of one who is taking an oath of office, he is taking an oath to represent people, to speak on behalf of many. Uh, his actions will have implications on others. It, it, it is, is being in office will certainly change people's lives, either for better or for worse. So yes, taking an oath of office. Those are good examples. Um, Weighty and momentous matters are, are, are things like that. Or when authorities demand, uh, demand it, like you need to confirm the truth. Like when we, when we go to court, we swear and we are swearing to speak the truth, nothing but the truth and all truth. And what you're committing to is that you will not mix whatever you're promising with lies. Um, but it's not expected that you would be ever swearing in your daily conversations. Have you, have, have you been uh, friends with people who are ever swearing? Why? See, you know that. Um, Sadly, the Islamic religion teaches to be swearing. And that tells you that when there is so much swearing, there is no commitment to. So when you are constantly swearing, it means that it becomes daily conversation and it's not, it's not taken seriously. Because it's not momentous and there is no uh, authority demanding it. There is no... Um, uh, requirement. Uh, there is no strife, you know, so you, you don't need to, to ever be swearing. We, we already read Hebrews 6.16, where confirmation of truth is required. Then let's consider the seriousness of taking an oath. That's section three. It says that each and every person who takes an oath agreeably to the word of God must well consider the seriousness of such a solemn act and be extremely careful to assert nothing but what he knows to be truth. For by rush, falls and empty oaths, the Lord is provoked. And by reason of them, a land is brought to misery. Um, if we could turn to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 2. Someone could read that for us. Jeremiah 4, 2.
Who is that? Moketi? Jeffrey, go ahead. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 2. Could read from verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. To remove your distasteful things, my presence, and do not and do not waver. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Right. Um if you swear, then you should do it. Because if you do, then there would be God's blessings upon, upon it. Uh, but then when you swear and you don't do it, then you, you are risking falling under the judgment of God. And God obviously does withdraw blessings. A mark of a godly man or a godly woman for that matter, is that he fulfills what he promises always. And especially when under oath, no matter how much it might cost him. Did you hear that? When we make a promise, when we swear, then we must do it even if it's going to be to our heart. What biblical example, what best biblical example do we have of one who swore to his own heart? Yes? Uh, yes, Lawrence? In the book of Judges, we have Jephthah. Mm -hmm. What did he promise? Swear. He swore to give the first thing that comes when he goes back. If God gives him victory and he returns, whatever is first, he meets the first from his house. And that happened to his daughter. His only daughter. Right. And uh, what happened? Not very clear what's happened, but <laughs> I think... I think he fulfilled the vow because she requested for a few days to, to, to mourn. Yeah. It appears that she was actually uh, sacrificed. Yes. Um, and the fact that it was celebrated in Israel that day uh, then clearly does show that uh, Jephthah did fulfill his promise. Uh huh. But I don't think that that's a great, I mean, that's, that's a, an awful thing, and it was such a big thing, but what would you say is the greatest promise by an oath that was fulfilled at such a high cost? I think I've already given it away. <laughs> yes, who is going to answer it? Nonetheless. You said I've given it away and no one is... Uh, <laughs> What about Jesus Christ? Yes, if you could give it to Brother uh, Wilfred Kiplinger. What about Jesus Christ? Go ahead, uh, if you could hold the microphone. God gave us his only begotten son, as Christ, to die for our sins. Yeah. Yeah, so throughout the Old Testament, we have God constantly promising, beginning with Genesis 3.15, uh, that he will give his son. And this is further strengthened by an oath. Like, for example, in uh, Psalm 110 and many other passages that, that show God swearing that he will give his son for our redemption. And did he do it? The Bible says that he put God put him forward as the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. 
So then let's find out what promise have you made, what oath have you made that has been the most costly to you? And would that be comparable to what God has done? See, that's why Christians have to be very, very trustworthy. We have to be people of integrity. You know, brethren, we, we as a church covenanted to be here at nine, but how many of our church members are here? How many? Why do we have all these empty seats? Why do we have all that? Impact us directly. The time that you report to work and what you do at work shows whether you're a Christian at heart or not by your commitment to integrity in what you said, what you promised, what is expected of you, your commitment to your contract, your commitment to, uh, to your vows, to, to your, to your uh, spouses, all that shows whether we are indeed Christians or not. Because then lastly, uh, it's not just the seriousness, it's also the sincerity of our oath. <clears throat> the last uh, statement is, is this, uh, paragraph 4. An oath is to be taken in the plain and usual sense of the words used without equivocation or mental reservation. Um, you know, you make promises. Let me give you an uh, But they require you to work even on Sundays. Now, there is already a, a promise, even a demand from God for you to the Lord's day. Yes. Uh, as as his, uh, his day. But then you cite that contract, you know that you're conflicted because it requires you to work on Sundays, but you are hoping that you will renegotiate the terms once you have the job. How many times do Christians do that? You're hoping that you will renegotiate the terms after you've been employed. So this is where you are making mental reservation. You know that they are asking you to do something that you don't want to do. You know the consequences of doing it. And so you're not really committing to it. But you are acting as if you will do it. And uh, you make the company believe that you have no problem working on Sundays. And then the first day you're told to work on a Sunday, you go and, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, I would want to go to church, please. You could find a place for me or, or replace me with, with whoever else wants to work on Sunday. It's wrong of you to have signed that contract. You should have, from the very beginning, told them six days, and only six days are up for grabs, because that's what I have from the Lord. Uh, the Lord's day belongs to the Lord. I shall not auction it to you. And so from the very beginning, they know what you're offering. If you lose the job, fine, the Lord will provide for you. Okay? So there must be this commitment to exactly mean what we are saying. What we say is exactly what we are to understand in our own minds. We must not impose another interpretation on the oath in our mind, contrary to what we know the witnesses understand. Nor must we add any words secretly in our minds to change the oath. And brethren, that's on marriage vows being standard. Because we all know what those words mean. But when you write your own vows, who knows what you mean? You know, who knows what you mean? And that proved me right when I had this couple who decided to write their own vows and they really fought about it. And so we agreed, okay, okay, you can have your, you can have your vows written, you can write your own vows, but you will say them after you have done the standard vows. And um, later on, uh, 
they began arguing about their, their vows. And uh, the secondary vows came to the fore in their argument, their arguments. So don't say things that you are hoping that they will understand. You don't quite mean everything that you are saying. That is lack of sincerity. What we say must be what is, uh, what is meant and uh, what we expect others to understand. We must not add words secretly in our minds or change the oaths. Um, the Roman Catholics would allow, <clears throat> in certain cases, where they are dealing with heretics, to change things, to shift goalposts. But any attempt to shift goalposts isn't Christian. Is there any question before I close? Still, we'll have a whole session of question and answer, but you could uh, raise whatever question you have, then we can close. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Mungi, for that session. Uh, my question is, uh, what are your thoughts on resolutions? Do they fit the category of oaths and vows? They do, yes. Okay, thank you. Um, so whatever we say, whether we say or write down, or, uh, um, you know, however, whatever media we might use, does not matter. Um, we need to commit to doing what we have promised to do. Later on, I would be making a distinction between committing to do certain things and being unable to do them, but still committing to doing them, if that makes sense. I mean, what Paul describes in, uh, in, in Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I don't quite succeed in doing them, but I still want to do it. Yes, the flesh is weak, but my spirit wants to do these things. We'll talk about that. Yes, Mike? I believe the, the series that you're taking us through should or might touch on. So I just thought to raise it up. It doesn't have to be. It could be a prayer. I mean, when you're praying, how many times do you say, oh, my God? <laughs> but I know that people would can, um, you know, ingest, uh, say, oh, my God, as an exclamation mark. But that's, that's using God's name in vain. Okay, thank you for the series. Um, what, what would your thoughts be? I've just Googled this, uh, the presidential oath of office. It's actually not in the name of God. So first time I'm noticing, what would be your comment? I, I think they have uh, cleverly withdrawn it. But I think the Kenyan oath of office does have, doesn't it? No? Okay, well, uh, but still, in a sense, it doesn't really matter. Uh, when, when they lift up the Bible, what are they saying? We shall abide by the content of the truth revealed in God's word and therefore submitting to God. Um, but God will not hold them guiltless because uh, that is a weighty and momentous uh, matter where they are representing uh, the world nation and whatever actions they take would have uh, would, would impact the nation so I, I don't think it makes any difference uh, because even in our daily conversations we still need to commit to doing what we promise to do uh, brother Kiplager then we'll close Yes, um, I'm thinking about testimonies the way it's it is, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I would say some of the songs that we sing are also so happy. And so there are some songs that uh, unbelievers need to be told, don't, don't sing that. You know, oh God, I've promised to serve thee to the end. An unbeliever sing, singing that. And yet they have not even submitted to, to, to trust in the Lord.
So yes, um, when everything has been said and done, we need to realize that we live in the presence of God who sees everything, hears everything, knows everything, and uh, commit ourselves to living in his presence. What, what is called Quran Dio. Uh, we know that God is, he knows everything, even our thoughts from afar. You know, Psalm 139. And uh, we conduct ourselves as people who fear God in all our dealings, not men. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and uh, for your word. Please continue to teach us how we are to conduct ourselves in this fallen world, seeing that uh, uh, we, we have words and use words and make promises and take vows and oaths. And many are times when we are unable to keep them. Yet, Lord, our prayer is that we will not excuse ourselves, but that whenever we make any promise, we are committed to doing it, even at our own cost and to our own heart. Deliver us, Lord, from being rash and vain or jesting in our words. Grant that, Lord, we will be serious people. Serious, serious people who are committing to the heavenly conduct. Uh, to be as holy as our heavenly Father is holy. And this we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.